Brothers and sisters, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I haven't mastered the walking and talking, so uh, today we have a big wood uh, pulpit in front of me so that I don't trip and screw up. Um, As Mike has already said, Pastor James is participating in the Ironman, and this journey that James has been on over the past few months has been, uh, well, just busy and a lot of training. And much like his journey, uh, his physical journey, um, our spiritual journey is, consists of a lot of smaller journeys. Um, it involves training. Um, it involves little journeys that can be joyful. It involves other journeys that can be painful. Um, some of these journeys are epic, like accepting Christ. But all of them come together to become this one journey of seeking after Christ. I'm a strong believer in my life of building these intentional spiritual journeys into it. And typically I do this during Advent and Lent, which are these periods before Easter and Christmas. Um, And if I don't do that, it's kind of hard for me to celebrate those seasons. For me, it's like picking up this delicious orange creamsicle cupcake that I love from Sweet Frostings downtown, and then just eating the cake part and throwing out the frosting, which is just a travesty, because I love cake. As James and I were talking about this sermon and what we were going to talk about during this time a couple months ago, I said, well, maybe I'll just share what I did during Lent, because that would make it easy. And this year, I started off Lent saying, I'm going to dig deep into the book of James. And I picked the book of James because over my life, James has been one of those books that has had such meaning to me. There's such depth in the book of James about following Christ through all costs, being faithful, and so much more. In an attempt to spice it up this year, I thought, well, maybe I'll get one of these books, I'll get a commentary, which is a book that goes verse by verse through, say, a book of the Bible or, or something, and says, this is what this means, and this is how we can understand it. And I thought, well, maybe that would be a good way to understand James better and have a little deeper understanding. It sounds like a great idea, and it worked great for the first verse, but it didn't work after that. Um, Because I got stuck on the first verse, which is, I, James, am a slave of God and the Master Jesus. My bold plans of knowing this book in depth never really happened over Lent. Maybe they'll happen some other time. Because my plans didn't necessarily line up with God's plans, you see. And for someone who's very driven as I am and very goal-oriented, this really sucked for me. That's probably not a word I should use in church. But I felt guilty because I didn't live up to one of my goals. Yet through this, over the last few months, God has made it so clear to me how important this one line is. This one line is really central to our whole outlook on serving Christ. It's really central on serving Christ well. Throughout many of the letters in the Bible, we see this common phrase, a slave to Christ, or perhaps it's written a servant to Christ, as we see in James. And I can't speak about your walk, but this idea of slavery and slave, being a slave to Christ is really foreign to me. Because when I think of slavery, I think of the slavery in our past as Americans, this brutal slavery that we had in our history. I also think of modern slavery where children and women are used against their will, or maybe children and other people are used to produce goods for the first world. I think you get the idea. Slavery is something that I view as brutal. So how does this relate to serving Christ? Talking about slavery, and specifically what slavery looked like during James' time, is not something we have time for this morning. 
But it is one of those studies that would be good for you to do on your own, something that you can learn something at. So if we go back to this verse, I, James, am a slave of God and the Master Jesus, and we look up the word slave, we find out that it means doulos. And I don't know Greek, but I do know how to use Google. (laughs) And if we look it up on Google, we find out that it means a slave, a bondsman, a man of servile condition, and so forth. Well, you know, when I looked up that definition, it really didn't make me very happy because it's one of these things that's kind of a circular definition. You look up one word, and it means something, and then you look up that other word, and, well, it means that one word that you just looked up. But while researching this word and the definition, I came across a definition that really grabbed at my heart and will maybe grab at yours. And this definition says, doulos, to be devoted to another to the disregards of one interest. Let me read that again, since it's really important for this morning. Doulos. It can mean devoted to another to the disregards of one's own interests. And if we take this first line of James, and we do a word substitution, which I do sometimes to make it more understandable to me, I now get, I, James, am devoted to Christ with no regard for my wants or my desires. And over the last few months, I've meditated on this, I've prayed on this, and I've really struggled with what it means in my life and what it means in our community's life. Am I serving God without a regard for my own wants and desires? Are we as a community serving God without a want or without serving our own desires? Am I living this way in the future? Or am I planning to live this way in the future? Are you planning to live this way in the future? Have I done this in the past? And have we as a community and individually lived in a way in our past such that we are serving Christ without a regard for our own desires? As I've spent the last few months meditating on this idea, what really struck me is that as humans, often very broken, lost humans, what blocks us from being active servants of Christ is because we actively replace Christ with something else, whether it's intentional or not. And through discussions over the years, we've really wrestled with this idea. And sometimes the concept comes up that, well, this is just what happens in a busy life. We are required to do so many things to provide for our family and our kids and everything else that this is what happens. We replace Christ with something else. But I really struggle with that idea because I don't think that's right. I think that it's more human nature to do this. I think it's more the sin that's within us that causes us to replace Christ with serving something else. If we're honest, or maybe if I'm honest with myself, I don't like talking about sin. Because when we talk about sin, especially if it's something I'm struggling with, it makes me squirm, it makes me uncomfortable, and, well, I just don't like it. And often, when we talk about sin on Sunday morning, I don't like it. But sin is one of these touchy subjects that makes us squirm, and we really have to talk about it on occasion. But when we talk about sin, we really have to listen to Jesus' heart, as we read in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. By the way, all the scripture references are in your insert, so if you want to look at them, you can. Um, Matthew 7, 1 through 5 says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. 
And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your own. This passage is really clear. We're not supposed to judge, and that makes it really hard to talk about serving sin over Christ, especially on a Sunday morning, because we can't judge how other people's walks go. But the good thing about sin, if there is any, is that there's nothing new under the sun. The sin that I struggle with may very well be the sin that you struggle with. The ways that I have replaced Christ in my life may very well be the ways that you have replaced Christ in your life. The other good thing is that the Holy Spirit moves like the wind and that with proper prayer and meditation, he will reveal to you ways that you struggle if you just ask him. In Paul's letter to Corinth, he talks about the church and sin in the church. Listen as I read this passage. 1 Corinthians 5, 9-13 When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin, or are greedy, or cheat people, or worship idols. You would have to leave the world to avoid people like that. I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. As Paul writes in this passage, he's very blunt. There's little talk of grace which I strongly believe in, and we as a community strongly believe in. Paul talks about grace in other passages. But what Paul does really well in this passage is he does a really good job at calling out sin and naming it, something that we often shy away from in the church. Over the next few moments here, we're going to unpack this passage um, using examples from my life, because as I mentioned before, I don't believe that you can really talk about sin without talking about sin that you've experienced. So listening to Paul's letter to Corinth, we can deduce that if we are going to be a slave to Christ, we cannot be bound to sexual sin. Paul is very clear here in his writing, and in our culture, this is probably one of the biggest issues that we face. And I'm going to go further to say that this is one of the biggest issues that we face in the church overall, and I don't know, maybe in our church. You would have to answer that for yourself. But from personal experience, I can tell you that it is very difficult to be a slave to Christ if you're replacing him by being bound to sexual sin. I will even go farther to say that if you've struggled with this in the past, present, or maybe even in the future, that you find an accountability partner because you won't be able to beat it alone, or it'll be very hard. If you need an accountability partner, come find me or Pastor James or drop a note in the back or many other people in this church would help you. So if we jump back in the passage here in Corinth, or to Corinthians, another sin that Paul talks clearly about is that if we are going to be a slave to Christ, we cannot be bound to money or success. Our culture places such high value in getting rich, places such high value in being viewed as successful. The American dream, this dream of success and wealth that we all strive for, or maybe not all of us, but we try to strive for, isn't necessarily God's dream. Does that mean that owning a nice house 
and perhaps a nice car, making a good living is wrong? No. However, as Mark, or Luke says in, or Jesus says in Luke 16, 13, we can't serve both him and money. Listen as I read. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. In my life, because that's what we're talking about here, this pull to serve worldly wealth and success is so strong. And I'm guessing that it may be similar for some of you. Because we want to be highly compensated for what we do. We want to be good at what we do. We want to have what our friends have. And the list goes on and on and on. We want, we want, we want. But in all of this, we often forget that God is our provider. That God gives us the things that we need. And that instead of seeking success and wealth, we need to be seeking after Christ. In my battle, which I have this battle probably every day in my life, if we're honest, the thing that helps the most is actively sacrificing what I have. Because you see, when I get in this mode of I want, I want, I want, I have to get the understanding that everything that I have is God's. Not just the 10% that I'm supposed to take off the top and give to God when I feel like it, or not when I feel like it, but everything. My house is God's. My car is God's. This church is God's. My children are, is God's. So giving sacrificially from what I have is a reminder that God is my provider and that if I give away, he will still provide for me. Again, if we jump back into this passage of Corinthians, Paul starts striking us where it really hurts if he hasn't done so already. And we see that we can't be a slave to God if we're a slave to an idol. When I think of idols, I think of these people bowing down to idols. Uh, Maybe it's a little model that they have in their house or whatever. But that's not necessarily what it means. I meditated on this for a while, and what really struck me is that anything can be an idol. That this is the catch-all for all sins. Anything that we replace Christ with is an idol. And that includes sex, money, success, wealth, maybe sports, anything can be an idol. I prayed on it, and I meditated on it, and I really thought to myself, well, maybe I should come up with some examples of things that have been idols in my life, so that as you think about this and you meditate on it, you can have some examples that I've found in my life. Can my career be an idol? I know it has been in the past. I seek after success every day. Can getting more education so I will be more successful be an idol? I know it has been in the past. Probably is in the present right now. Can the way that I church to work, also known as tradition, be an idol? I know I don't like change. Let's just be honest. You can ask my wife. I like things to be static, the same all the time. And so when we mess with church, I might get upset. And that's definitely an idol. Can my schedule and how I like to live my life be an idol, whether it's really fast or really slow? Can how my body looks be an idol? I can tell you right now it isn't, because I like to eat cake. But in the past, losing weight and being fit has been an idol for me. Can the success of my children and seeking after their success at all costs to the point where I am weary be an idol? I know it has been in the past. 
Can seeking after any goal, whether it's a really healthy goal, be an idol? Most definitely if it replaced Christ. The list goes on, and I'm sure that if we went around this room and we talked this morning, everyone would have a different item on their list. There would be some overlap, but we could probably go on for hours talking about the ways that we have replaced Christ with something else that's healthy or maybe unhealthy. I'm guessing that your list may be similar to mine, but maybe not in other ways. Over the next few moments here, we're going to transition back into worship, and we're going to just let the words sink in, give our time for our hearts to process what's been said. As we go back to worship, let's close this time in prayer. Father God, we desire to serve you with our whole hearts. We ask that your spirit move in our church this morning. We ask that you show us areas in our life where we have replaced you with something else. Father, we thank you for providing for us. Amen. Next slide, DJ. Okay, kids. Anybody recognize who this is? Eeyore, right. What is Eeyore's personality like? Right. Well, uh, my personality is a lot like Eeyore's, let's be honest. Um, I'm kind of like a glass quarter full guy, not a half full guy. Um, Maybe a Debbie Downer and so on. And so earlier I talked about my Lenten journey of meditating on what it means to be a slave to Christ, and really that this Lenten journey was more about meditating on being a slave to sin, and if I was Eeyore, sin and more sin and sin. And if Eeyore was saying this, he would say, woe is me, I'm a sinner, all I do is sin, there's no solution to the sin problem, I can't be a slave to Christ because I'm a sinner, and on and on and on it would go. Luckily, I have a brother who walks this faith journey with me frequently and sends me constant texts, and he reminded me at the end of this that there's grace and that I was forgetting this idea of grace, that God has spoken about this grace throughout the scriptures. You see, we can't just talk about sin like we did in the first half without talking about grace because it's the whole reason that we follow Christ. We miss out on the whole reason for the cross if we just talk about sin. We miss out on seeing God's love demonstrated for us if we just talk about sin and only sin. I think that we have all known these believers in the past who follow this legalistic line defining what we can do and what we can't do. And they do it under their own power, forgetting about God's grace. And we don't want to do that. One verse that talks so much about God's grace is Romans 5, 7 through 10. Listen as I read. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I'm going to read that line again because it's important. But God showed his great love for us for sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will say certainly save us from God's condemnation. For, our, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. 
This is one of those passages that my friend reminded me of that breathes life back into a broken soul, a soul that is struggling with sin. You see, it takes all the weight off of us. Well, maybe almost all the weight off of us. And instead of trying to conquer this brokenness and this sin that we struggle with alone, God in his innate wisdom gifted us his perfect, blameless son to do that. And while I still struggle with sin and we as a community still struggle with sin, and if you don't think you do, then you're probably not right in the head, Jesus' blood saved us from that eternal damnation that we deserve. However, in all of this, we have to accept Christ and accept who he is. We have to believe that Christ is our Savior and that in Christ alone we are made new. We have to believe that this salvation that we get from God has nothing to do with who we are, how we act, or how we look, or anything else. It is just Christ. A moment ago, I said almost all the weight is lifted off of us. And I mean that we have to accept that grace, because if we don't, there's problems. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we do. And I'm going to highlight that again and say it again. Salvation is not a reward for the things we do, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good, the good things he had planned for us long ago. Of all the gifts that we can receive as humans, this gift of grace from our Creator is the best, largest gift that we can get. This gift frees us from the slavery to sin that we all struggle with. And while we may still struggle with sin, and we may still revert back to being a slave to sin over a slave to Christ at some point or another, we are set free from slavery by Christ and Christ alone. Listen to Romans 6, 5 through 10. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that the old sinful selves that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Let me read that again. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin, and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was died or raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. All the power of sin that we have in our lives, all the hopelessness, all the brokenness, all the chains that bind us are gone. We are freed solely by Christ. Christ alone is our redeemer. Christ alone brings redemption to us. In my journey over the last month, well, probably six months now, <laughs> this idea of grace was, is profound. I've known for a long, long time that Christ has died for me, probably like 20 years or so now. Yet it really struck home with me that in this battle of sin, with the sin, it cannot be won and it will not be won with accepting Christ's grace fully accepting his grace. This concept of grace to me is so amazing. It is so freeing. 
However, when we walk this faith journey, and we've walked it for a long time, this idea of grace can get kind of stale. You see, we know that the grace exists. We know that we aren't going to hell because we accepted Jesus. And often, we can kind of forget the power of the cross. We kind of will go on and say, well, the sin is really not that big of a deal. When we fall into this case, we really have to listen to Paul's words in Romans. And Paul says, God's grace has set us free from the law and legality, which we really like. He has set us free. Does that mean we should go on sinning? Of course not. And I think that's something that we often struggle with as Christians, or at least I do. For the next few moments here, we're going to have some quiet meditation. Uh, We're going to have a time to center our hearts on Christ as much as possible with children in the room. If you don't have a personal relationship with Christ this morning, I ask that you meditate on what this grace could look like in your life and if it's something that you want. If you do, I ask that you meditate on the areas that you're struggling, the areas that you could possibly have replaced Christ with serving something else, whether it's good or not. If you aren't struggling, I ask that you use this time to pray for your friends, for your coworkers, for your family members who don't know Christ, because them knowing Christ's amazing grace is really important. Listen to this song and meditate on what it says. In your uh, hymnal, you'll have the words on the back in case you want to read them. Um, And there's some questions at the bottom here for you to think about.
drop of your blood brought me healing, brought me life. Just one drop of your blood took away sin and gave sight. Just one drop of your blood brought me healing, brought me life. Know God's grace. Know that he is our Savior. May you know the power of his redemption and live in it. May you be a slave to him and his desires and not your own. May the grace within you from Christ shine on your friends and neighbors so that they will come to know him. Amen.